I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You may be seated. We began uh, uh, our conversation last week by looking at this particular text, and we just got through the first part of the first verse, and today we're going to need a little bit more time uh, than just this week to complete our look at these two verses. In the past few weeks, in looking at the topic of worship, uh, we are now on our sixth week talking about worship. That's how important the topic of worship really is. It's what we were designed and created to do. In the last few weeks, we have learned what false worship is, what is worship that is rejected by God, not accepted by the Lord. We looked at Cain and why his offering and his self was rejected by God and the results of that. We've looked at Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, who brought the strange fire to the altar, why it was strange and why the Lord consumed them in fire as a result of that. We've looked at the Lord Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well and where Jesus reveals that God's going to be looking for true worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. And last week we began talking about what real worship really is, and it's really summarized best in these two verses in Romans chapter 12. We're going to take these two verses and break them down into four components that we're going to talk about uh, over these next few weeks. The first one is the why behind our commitment to worship. The second one is the depth of our commitment to worship. The third one is the demands of our commitment to worship. And the last one is the results to our commitment to worship. Last week, we spent time talking about the why. In all things in life, answering the question why is the most important, it is the thing that shows us why we should be motivated to do something. Answering the question why is more important than how, what, all of those things, because Without why, we don't really do it. As humans and as, as believers, we naturally will drift away from things um, that are healthy for us. And one of those things is the realization to just how much God has shown us mercy and grace in our lives. We tend to forget about it. We tend to go about our lives, get busy, and it grows numb, numb to us. We, we fail to realize that everything that we deserve, we don't get. That the first time that we sin, what we deserve is eternity under the wrath of God in hell. That's what we deserve. But we don't get that because God is patient and long-suffering. And so what he does is he opens up this window of time called life. And that it's his desire that all men might come to repentance. And so he allows us to continue living even though we have caused this infraction against God's holiness and broke his law. He allows us to go on living so that we might repent of our sins and turn to him. And that's out of his grace and his mercy. Last week, we did an exercise at the end of service to help us remember the mercies of God in our life, what he saved us from, uh, what he saved us to, what he saved us for. And just as a pastor, I just want to talk for those of you who are here I was really proud of this church and how they responded to that. Some really heavy things were said in a very public forum. And I was blessed by that, not in the sense that you had gone through heavy things. We all have. 
But I was blessed in the sense that what I saw was that when one person would be honest and say that, that God saved me from X, Y, Z, it gave permission to other people in the room to do the same thing. And even if people didn't vocalize what those things were, I know that they were internalizing that, and it was something that they pondered on this week. And so I want to thank you. I think that you never, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes to admit the Lord saved me from these things. But when you do that, it, it really licenses and gives permission to other people to consider those things as well. Never forget the depth of God's mercy that he has shown us. That, that is so critical for us. When we do, this is likely the, the biggest and most prevalent reason to why we fail to worship God properly. This is why we wane in our commitment to the Lord is when we've forgotten just how much he's done for us. When we realize that we're not do anything good because we're not good. The, the Bible says our hearts are deceptively wicked, that we're always looking to scheme evil, and that we are lost without the Lord and that he has pulled us out of the pit of misery and despair. And he's set our feet on solid ground and he's given us not just life, but he's given us hope everlasting in the person of Jesus Christ. So today, we talked about the why last week. Let's talk about the depth of the commitment. And, and this is going to really hone in on the last part of this verse. And so the part of the verse that we're going to look at starts right in this area, and then we're going to go here. All right? So let's look first at present your bodies. When Paul says this, it is in all likelihood a metaphorical reference to the totality of ourselves. It's, not, it's likely not just flesh and bones, not just like our physical body, but also our soul, our will, our emotions, the totality of who we are, the entirety of ourselves. Our bodies and, and everything that we are are not to be used as agents or members to unrighteousness, they're to be used for agents of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verse 13 makes this super clear. It says, do not present your members, this is talking about the totality of your body, soul, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The reality is, is that when you sign up to be a Christian, and when you give your life to Jesus, your body, your soul, the totality of who you are, um, it's not yours anymore. We don't get to do with them what we want. When we came to Christ, we gave up these things. We gave up talking like we want to talk, doing what we wanted to do. Our flesh and bones, our souls now belong to the Lord. And when we come to know Jesus, we release ownership over them. It's like we're signing over the rights to all of these things to him. Uh, this is really important. There's a cultural phrase that exists in the world, in our culture. And, and, it, and it's, it's, it's problematic in, in the gospel. Um, it, it's been used in culture a lot recently, and it's been used in, in political spheres and spectrums on, on all sides to advocate for certain things. And, and that, that, that phrase or that dogma is my body, my choice. 
So a lot of people have used this to advocate for uh, abortions, or I can have sex with who I want, when I want, or I can, um, I can uh, not be forced to have a vaccine, that sort of thing. So all different types of people have used it for all sorts of different reasons, right? My body, my choice. And, and for the unbeliever, this is still true. That as an unbeliever, you have not subje- uh, subjected yourself to the lordship of Jesus, that really your God is still you. You are your own God. You make your own choices. You do your own things. So in that term and in that relationship, your body is yours, and you can do what you want with it, and th- there's, that's the way it is. But when you become a believer, this is no longer true. You have signed over yourself. Now my body and, and my soul and the, the, all the facilities of my life are used for righteousness. My mind used to be used to craft evil schemes, to uh, think of things, to look out for myself, to entertain false ideas about God and myself and other people. Now it's used to have a deeper understanding of the truth and to understand who God is so that I know of whom I'm worshiping. It's used to learn doctrine and to be renewed by the Spirit so that I think the way that God thinks about things. My heart used to be a heart of stone, uh, bent on my own will, motivated by things that were just the best for me or for whatever agenda I had. But now the Lord has replaced my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And now my heart, I've been given a new heart. And now it is motivated by the same things that motivate God. And the way I know what motivates God is by the scriptures. Now when I look at my hands, my hands used to work for myself. It used to work for the world. It used to do things that, that, were, that, that accomplished what, what the world wanted me to, but now my hands are be, to be put to the plow, to work hard for the kingdom, to provide for my family and caring for them, but also to uh, bring the gospel to where it needs to go. In the past, my feet used to run to sin and away from responsibility. My feet were used to carry me to all the things that were bad for me and carry me away from all the things that were good for me. But now my feet run and take me to places. Now I'm an ambassador of the gospel. I have the message, the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And now my feet take me to places where the gospel needs to go because the message is contained within inside of me because of God. My eyes, instead of collecting information of what I can lust or covet over, now my eyes see God's creation the way that he intended, and now I can take in the world through the lens and the viewpoint of Scripture. My ears, which used to uh, uh, always look for things that would tickle it, gossip and, 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 and things that I like to hear, but now my ears shut that out, and now my ears enjoy hearing the richness of God's word and hearing the praises of God of his people in community. My body is not used for the things that I want anymore. I've signed it over. When our bodies are used for anything else, it does not bring glory to God. It's not just our bodies, it's our souls, our intent, our emotions, our deep longings, our hopes, our dreams, our plans, all of these things are signed over 
whenever we become a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't hold them back for ourselves, for our own purchase. They don't belong to us anymore. They belong to Jesus. And here's the key point to all of this. A believer doesn't do that begrudgingly. They don't say, oh, I guess I have to do this because I have to, this is what's required to go to heaven. A believer does this joyfully because at the end of the day, we understand that when we were in charge of our bodies and when we were in charge of our souls, everything went to pot. And while we may have had uh, experienced some joy in short seasons, not real joy, but fleeting joy because of our sinful nature, at the end it left us to ruin. And so now we joyfully hand over the rights because we're looking at it saying, well, I kind of screwed this thing up. I'm going to sign over the rights and now I'm going to do things God's way. And that brings me joy because now I have fulfillment. Now I have life. Now I have hope. Now I am being used for the purpose of the kingdom. Right? So we present your bodies. This is part of worship. You present the totality of who you are to the Lord. The next part says, as a living sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice here contrasts with the Old Testament sacrifice that would die on the altar and not go on living. This was because the wages of sin are death, and the death of the sacrificial animal on the altar was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, we don't need that anymore because Christ became the final sacrifice to fulfill the entire need for a sacrificial system. So when he died, no more sacrifices are needing. No more, nothing else has to die on the altar in worship. But now we still present sacrifices, but they're not dying sacrifices. They're living sacrifices. So we go on living because Christ died for us. We live because now we have been legally declared as righteous. When we stand before God, he doesn't see a sinner, a rebel of the kingdom that has infringed upon his holiness. He now sees his son. And we did nothing to earn that or achieve that. Now, of course, our physical bodies will die at some point. And some, because of the will of God, will give their physical bodies for the gospel. But this is not the same thing. This is something entirely different. This is not being given up as an act of worship or an offering. It is simply obeying the will of the Lord. We will give up. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable. We are only holy because of Christ and what he's done. Because he was holy and he credits our bank account, our soul account, with what he did. It's only acceptable because we're now holy. Now, I'm looking at you guys and you're looking at me. It's hard calling us holy sometimes because we're still sinful. We're still sinful. We still fall. We still make mistakes. But according to God, as he looks at us, all that sin is forgiven and wiped out by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, this isn't just a call to Christian duty. This isn't a call to just go to church, serve at a homeless shelter, 
do this, do that. It's not just a call to Christian duty, although that's all good. But at the same time, it's also a denial of sin. The reality is, is that we are lying to ourselves, that the worship that we offer to the Lord is true and complete and acceptable and holy. If we lift hands, which by the way, nothing wrong with that. Scripture calls upon us to lift holy hands to the Lord. Holy hands. But if we lift hands that are simultaneously stained with unrepentant sin. Now, of course, we sin. We mess up. We go through seasons where there's more of that than others. But there's a huge difference between a, a, a person that sins and seeks forgiveness and repentance immediately, living under the grace and the will of the Lord, and a person who continues to do the same thing every day without turning from it, without letting it go, and without relinquishing it to the Lord. That's not unrepentant sin. That, that is unrepentant sin. So if we stand before the Lord and we lift our hands thinking that's acceptable worship, but it is stained with an open rebellion against the kingdom, it's false worship. That doesn't mean we can't make mistakes, but it means are you living and basking in that mistake and failing to give it over to the Lord, or are you laying it at the foot of the cross, submitting yourself to him and trusting him for his redemption? Very important. The holy, when you see the word holy, it means set apart. You're set apart. The entirety of yourself has now been set apart. Your body, the facilities of your life, your soul, you've been set apart for the work of the kingdom. You've been set apart for God. You are owned by him. You are his special uh, 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 person. So he, is a, he has set you apart for himself. And then to... To also turn around in the same vein and, and sit and eat at the devil's table? That's a lie. To lift holy hands before the Lord and then use those same hands to commit evil. It's a lie. Holiness means you're set apart now. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the ruler of this world. You don't belong to you. You're not your own. I know that that wasn't clear whenever a pastor 13 years ago said, fill out this card and you're going to heaven. Or the lady on the, ra the radio said, repeat this prayer after me and it's done. I know that wasn't clear and I'm sorry that wasn't clear. But when you submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, you are signing over the rights to your life. Yes. End of story. That's why... Wide is the gate that leads to hell, and many find it, and narrow is the path that leads to life. Both of them say heaven over them. Who would walk into, I mean, there may be a few crazy people that would walk into a, a path that says hell above it. They both say heaven. All these people walking in the narrow path saying, I'm going to heaven, have no idea that they have, they have not completely relinquished themselves at the foot of the cross. Lifting your hands, singing worship songs is fine. It's great. It's healthy. But worship begins in the way that you live your everyday life. Because you can come on Sunday, lift your hands, and on Monday night, if you're, insert the blank, it's fake. It's a game. And God's not buying it. 
It goes on to say, which is your spiritual worship. Now, uh, we use the ESV here predominantly. It's not because I believe it's the best translation. It's just my favorite. And when you look at the scale of translations, uh, it's, it's, uh, in my opinion, just my opinion, it is the most literal and easiest to read for the common everyday person on the scale. Other people have other preferences. That's great. It's actually more literal than King James or New King James. It's very literal. So that's the reason why I like it, because I, I think it's beneficial to our body. I think it's beneficial to our body because it's easy to read, and it's also literal. We're not straying into paraphrase stuff where you have an author that is writing in their own opinions and ideas. But the ESV does us a disservice on this service in, 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 as I look at it. Spiritual worship, which is actually what most translations use, I believe, is a, um, I believe does not communicate what this is saying. If you look at the King James and the New King James in this part, they get it right. IMO. The word spiritual in the original language of the New Testament, which is Koine Greek, is the word logikos. It looks like logikos in, in, uh, in, in English, and it comes from the word logic, logical. Logikos. That word is literally defined as reasonable and rational. So spiritual, I think, here's a little confusing. What, I, what it's more literally saying is holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable and rational worship. Your only reasonable, logical, rational response to the truth of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ is a complete and total offering of every facet of your life and yourself to Jesus Christ on a continual, everyday basis. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Anything else makes no sense. Partial commitment to Christ makes no sense. It is completely unreasonable to say, Lord, you have done all these things. You have given all of yourself. But I'm going to hold back part of myself. I'm going to keep back this relationship. I'm going to keep back this idol. I'm going to keep back this set of priorities. I'm going to keep back this person. I'm going to keep back this thing. And I'm not going to turn over everything to you. It is completely irrational. And it is not the heart of a true worshiper. This goes back to the whole, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but instead you're lukewarm and I wish you were hot or cold conversation. Because it's almost better to just be honest and say, I completely reject Christ or I completely accept Christ rather than pretending to take part of him when part of him is just a farce. It makes no sense. Offering yourself in full totality is holy because Christ has made us holy through him. And it's the only thing that is acceptable and that is the complete and total commitment to Jesus Partial commitment to Christ makes absolutely zero, no sense. And partial commitment is false worship. It shows an it shows a impartial understanding of the depth of what God has called us to. It shows an impartial understanding of salvation. It shows an impartial understanding of who God is and his mercies and grace. It shows an impartial understanding of the necessity of the gospel. 
We are deceived if we are doing Christian things, but we're not fully given over to Christ Jesus. Now, we go through this thing called sanctification in life. As a new believer, you don't always understand all of the things that this requires out of you, but when God reveals it to you, and God shows you something that you have not given over to him and you hold on to it and don't relinquish it, that's this attitude. I'm not saying at the beginning you're going to get it all right. But as the sanctification process goes along and the Holy Spirit reveals, hey, you've got an idol. Hey, you've got a thing. Hey, you've got a relationship. Hey, you've got a sin that's all toxic. And if you choose to hold on to it and not relinquish it at this point, that is what this is talking about. In the Old Testament, not bringing a perfect offering was actually considered evil. Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Like you're, God's saying, you're bringing me things you wouldn't even put before your governor. You're bringing me things that you wouldn't, put at, you wouldn't even put out on the table at the family Thanksgiving dinner. You would be embarrassed to put out this before your family, but you offer it to me? And this is, in essence, what we do when we say we're Christians and we do Christian things and we only offer up a part of ourselves to God and keep back things for ourselves. In the mid-17th century, an Englishman named David Livingston was captured by Algerian pirates and made a slave. Now, our current cultural context, pirates are like these, these rough, rugged people with long hair, wearing hats, saying, arg, me matey, uh, and they're, they're cartoon characters in the face of Captain Crunch, and they hang out with Johnny Depp. Like, that's our, that's our cultural representation of pirates, but pirates were really ruthless, uh, nasty some of the most nasty human beings that have ever existed on the earth. They were ruthless murderers, uh, rapists. Like, they were awful human beings. So they captured David Livingston, uh, and he, he, they made him a slave. While he was a slave, he planted a church. He established a church there for the slaves. While this was going on, his family arranged for his release. His brother, in particular, arranged for a negotiation so that David could be released from being a slave. They did this negotiation, and the pirates approved it, and they granted his release. When they told David about his release being granted, his response was, no, I'm staying. I started this church, and I want to stay, and I want to pastor it. Really gives a lot of perspective to a pastor who last week complained, you know, not complained, but was honest and shared that I feel like I'm hitting a wall. Man, it really gave me a lot of perspective. I think most of us, you know, we'd be like, oh, this is from God. This is a favor of the Lord. He has shown up and he has granted me my freedom. I have prayed for this and so now I shall be released. No, the easiest path is not always the path that God wants. David Livingston wasn't going to abandon this church that he started. He stayed, and he stayed a slave the rest of his life until he died, and he saw 200 men give their lives to Christ. Now, that doesn't sound like a large number, but it is a large number. You never know who was in that crowd and what they did. And it doesn't matter if it was for one man 
the work of the cross was accomplished in that man. And rather than looking for the escape in the easy way, he fully devoted himself to the call of God. He said in his note, this was what was even more impactful than what he did is what he said when people were praising him for his sacrifice. He said in his private journal, this is what he said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, and such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sing. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed and in for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not talk when, he, when we remember the great sacrifice which he, speaking of Jesus, made, who left his Father's throne on high to give himself for us. Amen. If that doesn't punch you in the gut, you are, a walking, you are walking while sleeping. This man was a slave his entire life so that these 200 men could find Christ. And he says, it is but a privilege what a complete flip on the idea of American culture today. Most of us would have been running out of there on our release saying, oh, I've suffered greatly for the kingdom. What a healthy perspective this true worshiper had. Over time, I've seen a lot of people that seemed otherwise very committed to the gospel become very mixed in their priorities over matters that shouldn't even register on our radar. I've seen people isolate themselves, recluse from community, leave healthy churches that they were called to. I've seen people drop out of their faith altogether over how another human being, shocker, treated them. I've seen people do this over and over again, drift in and out of their commitment to the Lord, in and out of the church, and hear me out, like, I'm not that pastor that's like, you've got to be in church for everything to be right, I get, but it is a call, it is a commitment to make sure that you do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, and listen, sometimes we miss, we got things going on, I'm not saying perfect attendance makes you more holy, listen to what I'm actually saying, when a person repetitively and intentionally removes themselves from the gathering of the saints, it always renders, I've seen it over and over again, it always renders apathy, it always renders rebellion, and it always renders a general backslide and, and, and backwards motion of their faith. 
because we were designed to be in community with each other. We hold each other accountable. We edify. We lift each other up. When you're in and you're in that, it's not always nice. Sometimes it's not pretty, and sometimes it's got its rough edges, and sometimes somebody says things that are mean to me, and I don't like it, or they look at me in a weird way. But at the end of the day, when we all come together, we have to realize I'm just as much of a perpetrator as other people that do things I don't like. And we have to realize that this is kind of our safe zone, and when we remove ourselves from our safe bubble, that's whenever we have made ourselves vulnerable to attack. And not just attack, we've, we've made ourselves vulnerable to our own flesh. I've seen this over and over again. I've seen people, wa I've watched, and it's so, like, it is so wrenching as a pastor because I care. My whole calling and the grace that God has given me is to care for people's souls. I watch as they go through cycles of being absorbed into the world, and then they come back, and they're recommitted, and then they're absorbed with the world. I see them on this vicious cycle of their own sin and their own priorities, struggling seemingly to keep their heads above water. I see believers make statements of renewed commitment, get baptized again and then just appear off of the face just disappear off the face of the earth just weeks later I'm going to be honest if this is your first time here this is kind of how we roll I'm not going to offer an apology but I will give you a little bit of heads up I'm going to be straight honest with you if that's your pattern you need to repent now I know that you we have a million reasons none of them are valid if you're living, none of them are valid. This isn't true worship. This isn't the offering. This isn't the holy and acceptable offering that we brought as a reasonable sacrifice. And the excuses that we make, they're just lies to justify our inconsistency. This isn't true worship we're offering. This isn't being the true worshipers that God seeks. God demands all of us. And yes, because we're sinners, at times we're going to fail at this. But there is a big difference between slipping and open rebellion. And I, I see some slipping, but I see a lot of people that are in open rebellion that's calling it slipping. And it's not slipping. I see a lot of people, they hit a rough spot in their life. Their marriage gets on the rocks or, or life is tough or their finances are down or whatever. Whatever the rough spot is. And then they return to their commitment. Oh, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And then once things stabilize, they shelf their faith and they go right back to the apathy they were in before. That's not true worship. That's manipulating God, thinking that somehow me showing up to church is going to get God to render the results and get me out of my sticky situation. So then, and then what happens? God gets you out of the sticky situation, you turn around and you go right back to forgetting about who he is and that he even exists? That's not worship, that's manipulating God or trying to. Our commitment to Christ should never waver. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have days we don't feel like it. This is not a call to perfection. This is a call to authenticity and integrity. If we are true worshipers that have given ourselves over completely and as reasonable sacrifices, we won't go through these massive seasons of in and out and in and out for years and years and years and years and years. When are we going to stop and just give it all over or just admit that we don't want to? Hot or cold, not lukewarm. I get it. Life is tough. It's hard sometimes. 
But we've got to stop letting these things cause us to waver. You know what happens? person gets committed back to Jesus. They start going to church again. They maybe recommit, get baptized, whatever, do all these things. And then the devil's like, you know, last time all I had to do was throw a couple difficulties in their path. Yeah, he has a, he has a country accent. All I had to do was throw a couple difficulties in the path and a couple distractions. That's all it took. Two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals gone. All I had to do is throw these little things into the mixture, and that's all it took. And all of a sudden, of course, every time I see a person start to try to push into the Lord, all of a sudden, here comes life's difficulties. I watch it happen over and over, and I watch a person. I watch them. They're like, oh, they're on fire for, for finally getting it right. And all of a sudden, bam, lose their job. Bam, whole family's sick forever. Bam, bam, bam. And in five or six weeks, they're gone. And it makes, me, it makes me angry, not at people, because my war's not with flesh and blood, but it makes me angry at the fact that we just, we've got to, that, ah, we have got to give our lives over to the Lord. Yes, you push into the Lord, things are going to happen. Your flesh is going to rile up. Old sins are going to start creeping back. Somebody's going to start contacting you out of nowhere, trying to tempt you. You're going to get uh, all of these things happening with your schedule. Your kids are going to act cray-cray. Uh, you, you're going to lose your mind at work because so-and-so is at the water cooler talking about how your dress looks funky, and, and you're going to have uh, all these reasons on Sunday morning why, why you can't get up and go to church, and then, and then you have all these reasons why you're busy and you're crazy and you're stressed out and I can't handle it. It's going to happen, guaranteed, 1,000%. It happens every time. The question is, are you committed enough to plow through this, or are you going to let the same dang things that always derail you keep derailing you? Our reliance must be totally on God. When we hit life's difficulties, our response shouldn't be to recluse and pull away from the Lord. It should be to push in. Because there's something that we haven't learned that he's trying to teach us. The invitation to come and be a true worshiper, it's a huge ask. Salvation cannot be earned. You don't fill out a prayer card. You don't do holy things. You don't arrive at church and all of a sudden you're saved. But true saving faith will render in a life completely submitted to the cause of Jesus Christ and submitted and subjected to his lordship. End of story. That is what the Bible says. Is that what you're going to do? Is that what you're going to do? Do you have a heart and a desire to be a true worshiper, one that worships in spirit and in truth, one who presents your bodies, the totality of yourself, as a living, ongoing sacrifice? You are laying yourself out there, holy and acceptable. I'm not pretending to be someone or not. If I lift my hands, I am recognizing that I sinned this week, and I need your grace and your forgiveness to come along and forgive me. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not in rebellion when I really am. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship this is the only thing that makes any sense it's your decision church i implore you i implore you this is the type of worshipers that god is looking for Amen. don't go half in anymore if that's been you 
all in, or I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been at this game. I don't care if Aunt Susie, your Bible school teacher, was amazing. And Pastor Bob from the Baptist church you grew up in is just simply phenomenal and you have a good relationship with. I don't care. Your relationship with Jesus and you being all in, not all in on religion, all in on Christ Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Please do not leave this room without either making a decision, I'm all in or I'm all out. No more lukewarm. I'm either going to reject it all or I'm going to accept it all. This is a, the most important thing of your life. The Chiefs will wait. The lunch will wait. Yes, the 49ers will even wait. This is it. You're on the ship or you're off of it. That's between you and the Lord. I can't make that decision in fact, nor would I ever want to. Now I've got to turn to myself and say, Josh, what are you not fully committed on? What have I revealed to you that you are refusing to turn over to me? It's in your court now. Father, we 